There had been a long stretch of cool, gray, drizzly weather. It was followed suddenly by a heat spell and sunny, clear blue skies. Needless to say, with the heat and sun falling right after a good wetting rain like that, the grass just sprung up. It looked like a really good crop of grass. Now, shortly before this little stretch of weather, a fellow right next to our seminary had decided to go into the sheep business. So anyhow, a number of us took advantage of that weather and went for a walk. And during the course of the walk, we happened to pass by the pasture where this guy had kicked out his sheep. Right there in the pasture, there was you walking with some effort. Ryan Carter's weren't quite moving right, and she looked kind of stiff. I thought right away, uh-oh, it looks like she's got the staggers. Now, what we call staggers, at least what, where we're from, is more properly called grass tetany. It's called tetany because the muscles start locking up and stiffening up, and it's called grass tetany because it's caused by the grass. Caused by the grass, I thought sheep ate grass. They do. Okay, then how can grass cause tetany? Well, at least in the part of the world I come from, grass tetany happens most often when you have spring weather pattern like the one we described. It's real cool and drizzly for quite a while, and then all of a sudden you get a good heat spell, and that grass springs up beautifully. But for some reason, that grass, as beautiful it will look in that conditions, will often cause ewes or even cows, especially if they're nursing, to develop a magnesium deficiency. So when you see that kind of weather pattern, you start looking for the staggers. And when you see the staggers, that kind of behavior, it's a cinch bet that you've got a magnesium deficiency on your hands. Now, if you let this run its course, in pretty short order, that you will go down, and then she'll die right where she fell within a day or so. If you get to her within 24 hours of the onset of this disease, it's a really easy problem to cure. You get to her, you just pour a little magnesium citrate solution down her throat, she'll just get up right like that. It, it's just amazing. They'll just stand up and walk away if you get to her in time. If not, uh, bullets the only cure. So anyway, I ran back up to the seminary and called the local farm supply store and asked them if they had any magnesium citrate solution. No. Obviously, in the East, they have different laws or something. You have to get it from a veterinarian. Okay. So then I went and explained to the guy that the U most likely had the staggers, although I wasn't a veterinarian, we raised sheep. Told him how it happened, and although it's really easy to cure, you have to get that mag citrate in there quick, because if it progresses very far, there's nothing you can do. I went back up to the pasture to check that U, and by this time she's a lot worse. Her hindquarters are completely seized up, and now she was literally staggering around. That evening I went up there to check on her, and she was down. At any rate, within a day or so, she died. They didn't get to her in time. That old ewe was just grazing along in grass. It looked good, smelled good, and I'm sure the ewe tasted good. But it didn't have what she really needed, and it wound up killing her. There's a lot of obvious applications in there for our own lives. But for today, just for the sake of time, we'll take a brief look at one. In today's gospel, our Lord tells us that he's the good shepherd and that we're his sheep. And he says that he knows and calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Our Lord says that his sheep follow him. But let's face it, 
These days, how many Catholics actually follow our Lord in any serious manner? How many so-called Catholics do we see gallivanting around, almost taking pride in the fact that they reject a whole handful or more of the doctrines and teachings of Christ our Lord? They've got a supernatural case to the staggers. Instead of a magnesium deficiency, instead of lacking some mineral, they've got a virtue deficiency. They're lacking in a theological virtue, the supernatural virtue of faith. The virtue of faith enables Catholics to hear the voice of our Lord speaking to us through his church, speaking to us through his holy scriptures, speaking to us through his sacred traditions like this beautiful divine liturgy, speaking to us through the infallible teachings of his popes and ecumenical councils. So what is this theological virtue of faith? Faith is a supernatural virtue. Supernatural means it's above our nature. It has to be given to us by God. It can only come from God. It's totally beyond our nature. So it's a supernatural virtue. What does it enable us to do? To believe all the truths which the Catholic Church teaches. And why do we believe all those truths? Because those truths were revealed by God. And God can neither deceive us nor be deceived. So we believe all the truths which the church teaches because they're revealed by God who cannot deceive us. The absolute importance of this virtue is crystal clear from scripture, Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. In other words, there's two basic truths when we're looking at faith. First off, our reaction. God said something, so I believe it. God said it, I believe it. That's the relationship. And the importance of it is, no faith, no salvation. So God said it, I believe it. No faith, no salvation. Okay. So given all that, given that it's absolutely essential to preserve our faith... And given that we're surrounded by literally millions of people who are staggering around with weak, almost non-existent faith, how is this? Well, we can say, just as there's a typical weather pattern with staggers, where you get cold weather, or cool, drizzly weather, followed by hot weather and it's grass, there's a typical pattern with the supernatural problems with the faith. All right, people have been baptized, and maybe they only have a basic second grade sort of understanding of faith. Now, that's fine when you're a second grader. There's a lot of people that have an incredible amount of knowledge, very powerful intellects, highly educated, and they can't carry on an intelligent conversation about the basic truths of the faith. And they may have been going to church for 40 years or more, and they're just plumb ignorant. Okay, they've never invested the slightest in effort in investigating or trying to deepen their faith or learning their knowledge of God's revealed truth. That's one possibility. Or maybe they've been reading or listening to heretical nonsense, modernistic authors or modernistic preachers, and they haven't sufficiently resisted that kind of poison. Or maybe they've been infected by the strictly naturalistic outlook that totally permeates our society, in which God, heaven, hell, all the supernatural realities are completely sort of erased out, as if they don't exist. And if they bother to remind us of something like the Ten Commandments on a piece of stone, get that out of here. We don't want to think about any of those kind of things. So we have to, you know, the second we're dead, we're in front of the judgment seat. We're a totally naturalistic society. So that attitude. Or 
maybe these people become proud and smug and disdainful of what they so smugly consider to be a hopelessly outdated, pre-scientific, intolerant attitude of true believers. Or, finally, maybe they've just been leading lives of sin. So you have these predictable patterns. It's ignorance, heresy, naturalism, pride, or sin. That's what, how these things come about. So, given we're surrounded by scads of people who have carelessly disregarded the most important health, their supernatural health, and grazed in these pastures of pride, pastures of heresy, lust, modernism, naturalism, sin. Pastures that look good, but don't have what it takes to keep the faith. Pastures which, if they spend much time there, will kill them. Given that we're surrounded by people with this kind of supernatural disease, what can we do to protect ourselves? To keep ourselves from coming down with this kind of supernatural staggers? What can we do to strengthen and increase our faith so we don't have a deadly faith deficiency? We have to nourish our faith. We have to feed our faith. Faith is supernatural. Now, when we're considering this, there's two things we want to keep in mind. First, again, we believe things because God said so. We don't believe them because we can see it or understand exactly how it works. Finally, we believe because God said so. When we're a little kid, we believe things because Dad said so. It's the same kind of attitude, except God, our Dad might be wrong. God can't be. Okay? He can't deceive us. So it's not crazy. He's God, and His Word is truth. Now, there are some aspects of our faith that even though we believe them because God said so, they're easy to tell. The fact that the Pope is the head of the church is a revealed truth. But we can also tell by observation. Unless we're one of these dissenters who seem to be the only people on earth that can't figure out who the Pope is and all seem to walk around like they have more powers than he does. Or they're certainly more infallible in their own minds. At any rate, we believe everything God has revealed because he can neither deceive nor be deceived. So, even though we believe some things that we can see, there's plenty that we believe that we can't see. We typically don't see our guardian angels. We don't, that doesn't mean we don't believe in them. We typically don't see the devil. That doesn't mean he isn't real. Or to see how amazing this power, the supernatural power that God's given us, just stop and consider one truth that all Catholics believe. We believe that there are certain men, we call them priests, that can whisper quiet words over a piece of bread. And that bread becomes a man. And that man is God. We all believe that. We believe it because God said so. Not because we can see it or understand exactly how that works. It's totally impossible to believe without that supernatural power, okay? We do that because God gave us the power to believe it. Okay? So, we believe because God said so on His authority. That's the first point. The second point is that since the virtue of faith has to do with belief, that means it's rooted in our intellects. Since it's rooted in our intellect, it's rooted in our mind. But this is a key idea in the whole sermon. The key idea is, however eager we may be to accept whatever truths God has revealed, we still have to know what they are in order to accept them, okay? In order to make the act of faith. See, we got the virtue to believe these truths when we were baptized. God gave us the supernatural power to believe the truths when we were babies. But he didn't tell us what they were. Those of us who were baptized as babies 
have to be taught. Okay, we got the power, but we didn't get the truth. We have to feed, nourish, and strengthen this power. How? By getting the truths. If we don't do that, we'll be all like these people with the supernatural staggers. That's their problem. So how do we get the truth? St. Paul says that faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing. We first get those truths as children with our Bible stories when dad and mom reads those to us. By hearing the lives of the saints when dad or mom reads them to us. By going through the catechism with dad and mom. By saying our prayers and saying our rosary with dad and mom. Parents, do you want your kids to get and keep their faith? That's a question like saying, do you want your kids to go to heaven? If you want them to keep the faith, you have to pass it to them. That's your most serious obligation as a parent. That's the thing that you have to answer for directly before everything else with respect to your duties as a parent. How did I do in that department? Okay, if you don't pass it on to them, they're not going to make it to their teenage years buying a miracle of grace, which sometimes happens, but we don't want to gamble that way. Okay, on the other hand though, if we nourish this faith with those divine truths, what happens? It gets stronger and stronger. And as it becomes stronger, there's a whole series of events that happen. As we nourish the faith, we get more hungry to know more of those truths. We want to know more about God and what he said to man. We start realizing there's all kinds of beautiful things he's revealed. See, we can't love someone unless we know them. That's just an abstraction. We fall in love with someone we know. The more we know about God and the more we know about what he's revealed, the more we realize that he's infinitely good and worthy of all our love, and the more we want to know about him, we keep falling more and more in love with him, okay? That's a key to growing in holiness. That's a key to making it through the storms of this life. To being the kind of person that people want to be around rather than the kind of person that people want to avoid all the time. The world wants one thing, which is holiness. It hurts, but they want it. Okay, anyway. The second point is, since the virtue of faith has to do with belief, it's rooted in the intellect. And so we feed and nourish our faith by learning and pondering the truth which God has revealed. Let's get practical and take a brief look at several methods to strengthen and nourish our faith. But before we do that, there's a basic rule and a basic precaution. The basic rule. The basic rule is we have to be open to the truth no matter what it costs us personally. The truth will set us free. Now, this attitude is the exact opposite of the smug dissenters who sit in judgment, deciding what they will believe and what they will reject. They're going to decide what's true and false. It reminds me of some little ch child in a high chair sitting up there as if they're smarter than God in some high chair telling God, well, yes, we'll believe you when you say this, and we won't believe you when you say that. It's unbelievably arrogant when we stand back and think about what the dissenters are actually saying when they're rejecting things, okay? So we have to be humble before the truth, all revealed truth. Everything the church teaches, even when it hurts. That's the basic rule. And guess what? It hurts everyone. Why? Thanks, Adam. We're all messed up in some way. So it's going to make an adjustment on all of us. The Catholic religion makes demands on all of us. We know that. They're not unreasonable. The price of the truth, you know, salvation is free, but it isn't cheap because it hurts. Okay, that's the basic rule. we got to be open to the truth. The basic precaution, we can't afford to endanger our salvation by listening to or reading anything heretical or unorthodox or by non-Catholic preachers. The faith is something supernatural. 
we don't and we can't afford to put God to the test. How will we put him to the test? By messing around with dangerous, bad things and then expecting him to preserve our faith. It's as if we grease a cliff, dance around it in a windstorm, and then hope that we won't get thrown off it. Okay? We have to preserve our faith. No faith, no salvation. St. Alphonsus says, quote, A single bad book will be sufficient to cause the destruction of an entire monastery. Close quote. we got to be careful what we read and what we listen to. If it can take out a whole monastery, it can take you or I out pretty easily. They've got a lot of virtue. We're just out here. Okay, so what are the methods we use to strengthen and nourish our faith? Quick look at two. Listening to good CDs or tapes and doing good reading. So first, listen to reliable Orthodox tapes or CDs. The late great Father Harden S.J. has a series of albums on various topics that I can't recommend highly enough. Bishop Sheen is still preaching, converting people, even though he's been dead since 1979. There's plenty of things like that out there. As long as they're Orthodox, you're going to be in good hands, okay? There's plenty of great ones out there. Second, then, spiritual reading. St. Alphonsus gives us some advice on how to do spiritual reading. First, we pray for light before we start reading. Second, we read with the goal of loving God more. Third, we read slowly with attention. We're not trying to race through a spiritual book. We're trying to read slowly in what's God saying to us. Fourth, when we receive any kind of light, we pause and raise our mind up to God. Something strikes us, we just stop and talk to God about it for a moment. Fifth, then we take a devotion from something we've read to ponder during the course of that day. Something to roll around and consider. Okay? So pray for light. Read with intention of loving God more slowly with attention when we hit anything that strikes us pause and lift our mind to God and take something away from that to ponder what should we read in the first place the scriptures especially the holy gospels those are the inerrant inspired words of God they're love letters from God to us so those are going to strike us every time in different ways second in the second place spiritual works of the saints and holy authors Things like the Imitation of Christ, the Story of the Soul by St. Therese Lisieux, anything good like that. Third, Lives of the Saints. In general, we should select spiritual books that have solid, practical doctrines regarding Christian life. For spiritual reading, we want things that have solid, practical doctrines. There's plenty of stuff with all kinds of different... This is what we're looking for here. Solid, practical aids. Okay. Let's close. We live in times in which there are literally... Millions of Catholics have a case of the supernatural staggers. Their faith is extremely weak. They can't clearly hear our Lord's voice. They've been grazing the pastures of pride, pastures of modernism, pastures of naturalism, the pastures of sin. They've been grazing in pastures that look good but don't have what they need to keep the faith. And it's killing them. And without the faith, it's impossible to please God. No faith, no salvation. We have been given this incredible gift. We believe God. By the gift of faith, we accept everything that God has revealed. But we have to nourish that faith, which we should do. How? By listening to good tapes or CDs, by reading good spiritual books, preferably on a daily basis. We want to increase our love for God. 
And we do that by increasing our knowledge for him. After all, our religion is the story of a love affair. It's the story of a love affair. He laid down his life for poor, sickly little sheep like us, his sheep. And we don't deserve it.